Tonight I'll continue my series on the spiritual paramis or the spiritual strengths that we develop through practice and that are the fruit of our practice. Tonight I'd like to talk about renunciation, about the happiness of renunciation, also called restraint. For some of you, my guess is that when you first hear this word, the impression isn't entirely favorable. Some people can have a sense of um, starkness. This word can bring up a sense of starkness or deprivation. For that reason, sometimes I use the word simplicity as an option for this word of renunciation, which perhaps helps us to tune in better to um, the flavor of it. I also hope that by the end of the talk, if your impression of the word renunciation isn't so favorable, that by the end of the talk I will have uh, dispelled that notion of starkness and um, suggested to you that, that renunciation can actually be a source of great happiness. I also hope that you get to experience for yourself some of the happiness of renunciation during your stay here by shedding your usual needs and distractions and relaxing into the simplicity of retreat. Renunciation is a great support for our practice. The Buddha called it the foundation of true spiritual power. That's a pretty strong statement. Renunciation is the foundation of true spiritual power. So renunciation can add power to our practice. It can also teach us a kind of clarity and happiness that is not dependent on circumstances. So retreat gives us a chance to explore this spiritual strength of renunciation. Often it's talked about two different kinds of renunciation, outer renunciation and inner renunciation. So we'll start with exploring a little bit outer renunciation. By coming to do a retreat here, you have all chosen to become temporary renunciates. So just by being here, you're exploring and strengthening this quality of renunciation. Doing a retreat where we give up our usual comforts of life, our usual uh, distractions, in order to further our spiritual practice to dedicate ourselves to cultivating wisdom and compassion, clarity of heart and mind. So any time that we choose seclusion, we come in the hall to practice, we do the walking meditation, we're practicing renunciation, letting go of seeking outside of ourselves for happiness. We're joining an ancient 
tradition, an ancient recognized path of liberation. The path of renunciation is a tradition of mystics and searchers through the ages. The desert fathers of Christianity, the mountain hermits of Japan and China, our own Henry David Thoreau, the inspiring Buddha himself renounced his princely life to go on a spiritual search. He lived a life of luxury and he renounced it in order to seek the truth. It can be an inspiration for us to reflect on the fact that we are joining this ancient tradition, this long-standing tradition, as a way to gain understanding and to develop the heart and mind. It's said that the Buddha preached what he called the middle path, neither extreme asceticism nor indulgence in sense pleasures. So for a while, the Buddha practiced extreme renunciation, ascetic practices. Uh, said that for a time he ate one grain of rice a day. That's an extreme form of renunciation or um, many other uh, practices that were common in his time. And then he decided at a certain point that this amount of renunciation was not useful. It wasn't leading him where he wanted to go. Then he uh, adjusted his practice to a more balanced practice where he ate well and took good care of himself and found that that was what produced results in the end. So he found that some renunciation is helpful, but extreme practices aren't. So we don't suggest here that you fast or sleep on a bed of nails or some extreme asceticism. But we do know that some form of outer renunciation is helpful in our practice. So we have fairly simple rooms here with not a lot of decoration and uh, two main meals of the day, no snacks out for snacking during the day. The option of taking the eight precepts and only eating twice a day. And we encourage people to eat the food that's offered and to eat moderate amounts. We stay close to the meditation center to help focus our energies. We give up TVs and music and entertainment and connections with people on the, in the outer world. All of these are acts of renunciation. All of these create simplicity. Now, some people might ask, what's the point? What's the point of all of this renunciation? One Burmese master was asked why Westerners seem to make slower progress than the Burmese, and he answered, lack of renunciation. 
lack of renunciation. So that may be a practice that some of us can um, explore more further, more more deeply. See if it brings power to our practice. Renunciation can give us freedom to focus our energies on practice. So we cease putting our energy into satisfying all of our preferences, which is a rather time-consuming practice. We cease putting our energy in that direction, and instead we reserve our energy for seeing clearly what is, for developing understanding. If our minds are cluttered with too many worries, if we're focused on sense pleasures and comforts, this can dissipate our energy and leave our mind and hearts cluttered. And we can't see clearly, like when we enter a cluttered room. Renunciation can help clear out the clutter. So it's beautiful here. There aren't too many things that we have to do. We have to take care of our personal hygiene and eat and do our yogi job. But beyond that, there's a lot of freedom to dedicate ourselves to our exploration. It's quite a rare and precious thing to have that level of simplicity. And when we refrain from entertainment and from uh, contact with the outside world, it really helps our mind to settle, as most of you already know. Less input quiets the mind. The mind settles when there's less new input. And this is another reason that we discourage reading and writing. They build up discursive Thinking, And we're looking for a different kind of knowledge, not one based on discursive thinking, but one more unsettling and clearing the mind so that we can see. It's more a clearing out than a filling up. The last three precepts that some of you have taken, the eight precepts, so the last three and the eight, Those are all about renunciation, about strengthening the quality of renunciation. The first five are about ethics, and the last three are about, those next three are about renunciation. So not eating in the evening is a form of renunciation. And today a yogi commented to me, she said, she was surprised at how much energy was freed up by, by taking the eight precepts and not eating in the evening. The high and luxurious beds, well, that's not too big a problem here anyway. The lack of adornment, simplicity in dress, that also helps um, develop renunciation and reserves our energy for our practice. Renunciation helps with a commitment to look within for answers. 
We're lessening our choices instead of expanding them. We're giving up the illusion that something outside of ourselves will satisfy our longing. So with renunciation, we give up that search without. We limit our choices so that we can go more deeply within. However, how renunciation is going to look for each of us is going to be very different. My first long retreat, I worked a lot with renunciation. I took the eight precepts. I didn't uh, allow myself to have any naps. I was also 23 years old, which, uh, 24 years old, which helps. Um, I, 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 took, uh, I renounced looking at myself in the mirror. It was really quite fun. Um, and I actually had the bathroom, cleaning the bathroom was my job. So I got so like I could clean the mirror and look and see if the mirror was clean without seeing my reflection. So I could see the surface of the mirror without seeing my reflection. I followed the schedule. This was down at the retreat center where they had a schedule. I followed my teacher's instructions. That's a kind of renunciation. <laughs> I didn't read, I didn't write. I didn't have contact with anyone. And it was really, really um, helpful. It was immensely helpful. I needed that at that time. But other retreats have looked very, very different from that. Sometimes it's not appropriate to push renunciation in that way. I found out that eight precepts actually isn't the best for me. I... Um, have hypoglycemia, and that my practice is actually better when I eat in the evening. So for some people, the eight precepts won't be the right thing. Or if we're going through a really rough time, if, we're, if we have a lot going on in our practice, often um, uh, adding more renunciation can feel too austere. It can feel harsh, which isn't the flavor that we're looking for. If we have health issues or we're older, we may need to rest more. So it's not having an idea about what renunciation should look like and then trying to um, make yourself fit within that, but rather to really look and see what's skillful and useful for you in your practice at this time. So renunciation isn't a goal in itself. It's actually meant to support our practice. So it is important to look at um, the attitude with which we practice renunciation. Kevin Griffin in his book, One Moment at a Time, says, renunciation can become anorexic intentional self-deprivation meant to punish ourselves for our innate unworthiness. And it's true that sometimes we can undertake renunciation with that kind of flavor, like somehow that it's going to um, make us worthy. And so if that's the flavor, if there's a sense of an aggression to renunciation, then it's not so useful. It's really much better to back off and to focus on metta, 
But if there's interest or curiosity or investigation with renunciation, it can be really helpful. To convey some lightness around this uh, subject, I have a story from Pema Chodron. She, she, says, uh, she says there's a number of hilarious stories of the Tibetan yogi uh, Geshe Ben. He was an eccentric fellow, and um, when he saw in himself any kindness or wisdom, he referred to himself as Venerable Geshe. And when he saw himself getting hooked by attachment, he addressed himself as You Fool. So once when he was visiting some patrons, Geshe Ben saw an open bag of, bar- open bag of barley flour hanging on the wall. He needed some flour, and when he was left alone, he unconsciously started dipping in. Suddenly, realizing what he was doing, he screamed at the top of his lungs, Thief! Thief! I've caught a thief! When his host rushed in, there he was with his hand in the bag. (laughs) Another time, the patrons invited all the monks for a meal. Geshe Ben was seated last. As the servers were doling out his favorite yogurt, he began to panic. What if there's none left for me? How can that fat monk take such a huge helping? As feelings of resentment grew, he began to connive how he could move ahead of the other monks before it was too late. Then he realized with remorse what he was doing and patiently waited his turn. When they finally got to him, he put his hand over his bowl and yelled, No yogurt for this greedy fellow. This yogurt addict has already had enough. So practicing, he practiced a little renunciation <laughs> when he saw the attachment in his mind, but with, but with a sense of humor. So there's power to renunciation. It has the power of um, developing focus and containment to our practice. Renunciation also teaches us about happiness and contentment. We live in a society here that doesn't exactly worship renunciation. We actually found much of our happiness on um, the opposite of renunciation, on indulging sense pleasures, worshiping the indulgement of sense pleasures, and in some ways we've lost, in this process, we've lost an understanding of a much simpler happiness, ones ones that's not based in indulgence, one based in contentment and simplicity. So renunciation helps us realize that happiness isn't about indulging our whims, and fantasies. It helps us access the freedom freedom of not needing. It's a relief actually to learn that we don't need that much to be happy. I remember the first time in practice that I really understood this. It was my first long retreat, and it was winter time. And I was standing at the sink. I was washing dishes. That was my job. And 
I was down at IMS. I was standing at the dishes washing, at the sink washing dishes, and um, I looked out the window, and some snow had fallen, and it was a sunny day, and it was a little bright out. And suddenly I just felt happy. And I understood that it was just the happiness of presence that I needed so little to be happy. Tears streamed down my street, my cheeks. It was like, wow, I don't need any more than this to be happy. And it came out of the simplicity, the renunciation of, of retreat. I want to share a story uh, with you from uh, one of our teen retreatants. He wrote a little story he called The Power of Presence. And this is a, a, a young man. He, he said it's fine to share it. Um, he actually shared it with some of the community already, who's been to a number of family retreats and teen retreats. And he described a moment that was particularly powerful for him in practice. He says... Last summer, during a sit towards the end of the teen course, I was going about my normal routine, settling the mind, focusing on the breath, and letting ambient sounds come and go. Suddenly, I experienced a first in my meditation practice. I was uncontrollably happy. Feelings of total relaxation, of fullness, of being in the right place and doing the right thing were produced. Experiencing this happiness was extremely powerful. It wasn't about beating a video game or buying a new pair of shoes, but was pure joy in its simplest form, joy about nothing at all. Added to that was the awesome presence of 60 other teenagers meditating all around me, which brought sensations of absolute comfort, safety, belonging, and most of all, positive energy. Breathe in, breathe out, and a couple of minutes later, I was back to the struggle of staying in the present. While this deep happiness only lasted a short time, it was gratifying to know how rewarding it is, and it's given me the curiosity to become more mindful on a day-to-day basis. What I love about this story, um, I actually teach the teen retreat, so I am, I'm quite connected to it. What I love about this story is um, that he got it, that this was a huge paradigm shift. He got it that, that he was understanding that he didn't need to seek happiness through the accumulation of things outside of himself, which is the way we usually look at happiness and that he could look for happiness in the simplicity inside of himself. This is the power of renunciation. So we begin to understand that renunciation isn't about giving up anything, really. It's not about depriving ourselves of anything. It's about freeing ourselves from clutter and opening ourselves to simple happiness. (laughs) 
at lunch today, one of the uh, um, people who works here was telling me about uh, something that a Western Thai monk had said. He'd said, I'm a, I'm a hedonist, and I discovered that as a monastic, I, I maximize pleasure. Because uh, through the practice of renunciation, I'm more available for all of the simple pleasures of life, like sitting and watching a sunset. And it's true that when we simplify, we are more present for many of the simple beauties that surround us. Like today, the bare trees against the gray-blue sky, the barbed wire on the snow, the tang of salad dressing, the richness of one breath. Renunciation can actually open us up to seeing and experiencing the many simple pleasures that life offers and that we miss when life is so cluttered or busy or fast. Through this process of simplifying, of giving up needing so much, we become lighter and happier. We see that we don't need the external world to be a certain way or to have certain things to be happy. There's a lot of freedom in this realization. The famous uh, Sufi Great fool Nasruddin explains it this way in a story. Nasruddin was eating a poor man's diet of chickpeas and bread. His neighbor, who also claimed to be a wise man, was living in a grand house and dining on sumptuous meals provided by the emperor himself. His neighbor told Nasruddin, If only you could learn to flatter the emperor and be subservient like I do, you would not have to live on chickpeas and bread. Nadasrudin replied, And if only you would learn to live on chickpeas and bread like I do, you would not have to flatter and live subservient to the emperor. Renunciation and simplicity give us freedom in life. Many more options can open up. Ultimately, it's our relationship to the things we have, not the things themselves that matter. 
So what's more important is um, our attachment or lack of attachment to what we have. And we can have few possessions and be quite attached to them. So on retreat we get to explore that even within the simplicity we can develop attachments. So we might get attached to a certain breakfast. I hope they have millet today. Or we might get attached to a certain walking space. Or we might get attached to it being quiet. Or the environment being like we want. So we get to explore even um, in the simplicity of retreat how still attachment can arise. Outer renunciation gives us a chance to explore the mind that craves. Renunciation brings sensual attachment and craving right out into the open where we can explore them. When we repress or indulge our sense desires, it's easy for attachment and craving to operate hidden. Skillful renunciation is a support that brings out our hidden agendas about life and about happiness. So through renunciation, just coming here, just the renunciation of a retreat, you've probably noticed this. (laughs) Through renunciation, we let craving come to the surface where we can see it and learn to understand it. When we look at craving very directly or satisfying our desires, we see that the craving itself is tension and that the relief comes when we satisfy the desire, right? There's a relief when we get something we want. It's actually the absence of the craving. That's what happens. So renunciation helps us feel that same relief from craving, but not by satisfying desires, which is really just a temporary fix because everything changes, but by seeing through craving itself, understanding that it doesn't um, have to be fed. And then as we don't feed craving, it weakens. So the spiritual truth of renunciation is in line with the truth. and in line with helping us see the deepest source of suffering, which is craving. So we see that, that renunciation is a higher kind of happiness than satisfying sense pleasures. It's not always immediately apparent, however, a quotation from the Buddha in the Anguttara Nikaya. He says, 
Even I myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good. But my heart didn't leap up at renunciation, didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause? What is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace? Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I like this quote because, um, well, it makes the Buddha seem a little bit like us, no? <laughs> doesn't immediately... Uh, get excited about the idea of renunciation, but then he does ask the question, well, why not? And the answer is, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. So renunciation, by bringing um, the craving to the surface, helps us understand the drawbacks of sensual pleasures. The obvious drawbacks of sensual pleasures are that they don't satisfy us because they're impermanent, they're unreliable. We have to be on an endless search if, if sensual pleasures are going to be our source of happiness. So renunciation helps us see the unrealistic expectations and hopes we have that sense pleasures in this world will satisfy us. And when we see that, when we see that clearly, the drawbacks of sensual pleasures, then we understand the happiness of renunciation. So renunciation is about learning to let go. And often we have to learn it again and again and again. But there's a certain strength that we feel when we can practice renunciation, when something that entrapped us before, we can now let go. There's a story from um, the Jataka tales, which are the stories of the Buddha, um, as many lifetimes as the Bodhisattva before he became the Buddha. And it said that he spent all these lifetimes of eons and eons of lifetimes developing the um, paramis, the different paramis. So in this one, he's developing um, renunciation. So one time the, the, Buddha, the Bodhisattva came to life as a gardener, and he grew up. Spade Sage was his name, like a garden spade. Spade Sage was his name. With his spade, he cleared a patch of ground and grew um, herbs, pumpkins, gourds, cucumbers, and other vegetables, by the sale of which he made a sorry living. For save, except for this spade, he had nothing in the world. Resolving one day to forsake the world for his religious life, he hid the spade away and became a recluse. 
But thoughts of that spade rose in his heart, and the passion of greed overcame him, so that for the sake of his, his uh, blunt spade, he reverted to the world. Again and again this happened. Six times did he hide the spade and become a recluse, only to renounce his vows again. So, you know, it takes a little work sometimes. But the seventh time he bethought how that blunt spade had caused him again and again to backslide, and he made up his mind to throw it into a great river before he became a recluse again. So he carried the spade to the riverside, and fearing, uh, fearing lost, if he saw where it fell, that he might come back and fish it out, he whirled the spade twice around his head in the handle and flung it with the strength of an elephant right into midstream, shutting his eyes tight as he did so. Then loud rang his shout of exultation, a shout like a lion's roar. I have conquered. I have conquered. And then it says just at that time, uh, the king of Benares came by and was like, well, who's, who's saying he's conquered? I just came back from battle. And uh, the Bodhi, <laughs> Bodhisattva says, uh, um, tell, me what you, tell me whom you have conquered, sir, said the Bodhisattva. A thousand, yes, a hundred thousand such victories as yours are vain if you have not the victory over the um, craving within yourself. <laughs> so anyway, what I like about that story is that it takes him seven times. <laughs> and sometimes it's, uh, it's like that. But then I also like that I have conquered the strength we feel when, um, when we can let go. At a retreat I taught recently, somebody said, everything I have let go of has claw marks all over it. <laughs> That's the way it is, isn't it? <laughs> Renunciation is uh, a strength that can be practiced and developed like the other paramis. I remember as a child... Uh, I wasn't even um, religious. Well, we, I was raised Catholic till I was about six. But then after that, when I was older, like a young teen, my friends and I, uh, we would give up something for Lent. So Lent is a, is a Catholic period of time before Easter. It started yesterday, actually. Um, where, and during, I don't know much about it, so I don't want to say too much and get it wrong. But I, I know that one of the practices sometimes is to give up something for Lent. And um, so it's a renunciation practice. Um, I think it's considered a whole period of renunciation. So me and my friends, we would give up different things for Lent, like candy or gum or soda pop or I don't even remember, but you know, pretty simple things. And I remember that I liked doing it because I liked the feeling of strength that came from knowing I could do it, of being able to let go. I have conquered from um, not being a victim of my cravings and wantings. A couple of years ago, my Chinese herb doctor told me that she thought I should not eat wheat or dairy, which um, are a couple of my favorite foods. And so... uh, um, I decided to follow her advice and for a period of time didn't eat any wheat or dairy. And partly what I liked about 
the, the, the experiment was again that feeling that when I made up my mind, it wasn't that hard. I could just let go. And after a period of time, it was determined, in case any of you see me taking wheat or dairy at lunch, um, it was determined that uh, I didn't need to completely abstain, just that some limitation was probably the most helpful. Another form of uh, outer renunciation is um, taking the precepts or mindfulness trainings. And in this case, the, the renunciation has that sense of restraint, of restraining ourselves from doing things that cause harm. So restraining our impulses, that our impulses of greed, or hatred or ignorance that can cause harm. So in this case, renunciation has that flavor of um, self-discipline. And there's a simplicity that comes from following the precepts and committing to non-harm. There's a simplicity that comes in that our minds are not stirred with remorse and regret. And so it also leads to the quieting of the mind. So outer renunciation. What about inner renunciation? Inner renunciation, and actually I've been talking about it some because the outer renunciation encourages ex- exploration of the inner renunciation. And the inner renunciation is the, is the giving up our, um, the letting go of the afflictive thought patterns and emotions that are so deeply conditioned within ourselves. Letting go of the habitual tendencies of the mind to cling and push away. And obviously, this is where we're going to work uh, much more. Uh, Tenzin Pomo says in Cave in the Snow, Tenzin Pomo is a Western uh, Tibetan nun or she was, she may have disrobed, I can't remember. She says, renunciation is not a giving up of external things like money, leaving one's home or family. That's easy. Genuine renunciation is giving up all of our fond thoughts, all of our delight in memories, hopes, and daydreams, our mental chatter. To renounce that and stay naked in the present, that is renunciation. Stay naked in the present. Inner renunciation is about learning to trust and being naked in the present moment. That's a hard one. That takes time. That takes practice. 
So we see the way the mind escapes the present moment, looks for protection in all of our uh, deep conditioning for um, getting lost in the thoughts and the emotions and the afflictive chatter of the mind. And we practice letting go of that on retreat. Now that's not to say that you're not going to have a lot of, um, that you're not going to have all of it come up, because that is, that it does, that's, that's part of retreat. But we practice not repressing, but letting go of it, understanding that difference. Letting go of it and being present in the nakedness of this moment. We practice the renunciation of all of our assumptions about what life is and how it works. And we open ourselves to the inquiry into what we can learn through the present moment. We relax into the simplicity of what just this moment teaches us. And that's naked, not knowing. Not assuming. Being willing to be open to learn. Pema Chodron says, Renunciation does not have to be regarded as negative. I was taught that it has to do with letting go of holding back. What one is renouncing is closing down and shutting off from life. You could say that renunciation is the same thing as opening to the teachings of the present moment. Renunciation is realizing that our nostalgia for, for wanting to stay in a protected, limited, petty world is insane. Once you begin to get the feeling of how big the world is and how vast our potential for experiencing life is, then you really begin to understand renunciation. When we sit in meditation, we feel our breath as it goes out, and we have some sense of willingness just to be open to the present moment. Then our minds wander off into various kinds of stories and fabrications and manufactured realities, and we say to ourselves, it's thinking. We say that with a lot of gentleness and a lot of precision. Every time we are willing to let the storyline go, and every time we are willing to let it go at the end of the outbreath, that's fundamental renunciation, learning how to let go of holding on and holding back. So this is how we train. This is how we train in the um, simplicity of the present moment. 
of letting go into the mystery of practice as it unfolds moment by moment. The Great Renunciation. We understand that we gain not by filling ourselves, but by emptying, which leaves room for an entirely different kind of fullness, which is more satisfying. I'd like to finish and tonight with a poem by the hermit uh, poet Ryokan, the Japanese hermit poet Ryokan, which catches the flavor of renunciation. My hut lies in the middle of the dense forest. Every year the green ivy grows longer. No news of the affairs of men, only the occasional song of a woodcutter. The sun shines and I mend my robe. When the moon comes out, I read Buddhist poetry. I have nothing to report, my friends. If you want to find the meaning, stop chasing after so many things. Let's sit for a minute. I have nothing to report, my friends. If you want to find the meaning, stop chasing after so many things. Let's chant the sharing of the blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.